the the best thing that we have done um, is to try to keep our monthly bills really um, consistent. From Rise Up Financial, it's This American Wallet, a show where we anonymously interview people from all walks of life about how they make, save, and spend their money. I'm your host, Annalise Brethauer. I'm a certified financial planner professional on a mission to break the taboo of talking about money. As a reminder, nothing discussed on this episode should be considered advice of any kind. Please consult the appropriate financial professional about your specific situation. Now back to the show. I'm here with a first grade teacher from Oregon, and she has so graciously decided to come on the podcast and talk about how teachers make, save, and spend their money and all that. So um, with that, we'll just get into it. Talk to our listeners a little bit about your background, your career. What got you here today? What do you love about your career? Uh, Well, I'm currently in my fifth year teaching. Over the last five years, I've mostly taught first grade, but I did a year teaching fourth grade as well. Um, I graduated from a state university here in Oregon with a bachelor's degree in elementary education and went right into teaching at the age of 22. So uh, it's been a little bit of a learning curve. I feel like I've grown up a little bit with my students over the last five years because I went in so early and um, pretty naive to the world of education. Um, But for the most part, it's been a really fantastic opportunity uh, to work with kids and to get paid for something that I absolutely love doing. I wouldn't want to spend my time doing anything else. Awesome. So we're, we're sitting here recording this right now um, in this COVID-19 coronavirus environment. Um, Before we hit record, we were talking about how much uncertainty there is to be a teacher and for the students and the families. What are your thoughts? Um, It's scary. I do feel in some ways, like I'm very lucky because at least in Oregon, our governor has made the decision to shut down schools for the time being, at least until April 28th. Um, But part of that decision is that school districts are are expected to continue paying their employees. And so Mm -hmm. even in this really scary time where there's a lot of uncertainty, I don't know that we'll even go back to school on April 28th. I feel really lucky that I I work in a a state-funded occupation, and our governor has made certain that I'm going to continue getting paid, will continue to receive um, our health care coverage through the school district. Uh, So it's definitely scary. You know, my biggest worry is for for my kids and what they're experiencing when they're not at school, because for some of those kids... um, you know, school is when they get to eat and they have breakfast and lunch at school and they might not eat again until they come back to school the next day. And so uh, I feel really lucky about my current situation. And my biggest worry right now is about my kids and what they're going to do for the next month or so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been seeing on social media people posting where um, families that are food insecure can can get lunch and maybe breakfast for their kids, which I know is a big concern. Um, Which kind of brings me to my next question, which is talk to us a little bit about your relationship with money. What was money like growing up for you um, and how has that changed in your adult life? Yeah, um, 
growing up, my family was always very comfortable. Um, I don't think that we um, ever had exorbitant amounts of money to spend frivolously, um, but it was a pretty comfortable lifestyle. And I think for the most part, my parents did a really good job of uh, hiding when times weren't so comfortable. They never made that mm-hmm. um, a stress for my brother and I. My dad was a police officer for 30 years. And my mom stayed home for the first seven years of my life. And so my parents were a single income household for a long time. Um, When my mom went back to work, she went to work as a classified employee uh, for a school district. Um, And so, you know, her biggest concern at that time was finding a job that would align with the schedule that my brother and I had as far Mm. as the school year and uh, for the most part, the times of day. Um, And then something that would really allow her to be accessible to my brother and I, because my dad's job didn't always allow for that, um, depending on what he was doing at that time with the police department. Um, He was on SWAT for a long time, so he could get called out in the middle of the night. Um, There were years where he was in a detective's unit and he would get called out um, on holidays to go serve search warrants. Um, And so Mm -hmm. my, my mom's biggest concern was making sure that she was available to my brother and I. So Overall, we had a pretty um, comfortable lifestyle, but we didn't have um, a lot of extras. So like we didn't go on big, huge vacations, um, things like that. But overall, very comfortable. My brother and I were never made to feel like we needed to go without anything. I think that my parents being so generous with what they did have really set me up well as an adult. Um, So when I went to college, um, all of my college tuition was covered by scholarship, but my parents were willing to pay for my living expenses. They always told me that when I went to college, within reason, they would cover half and I would cover half, um, Mm -hmm. and that my scholarships covered more than my half, really. Um, So they were willing to take care of my living expenses in college. And then after I graduated, I lived at home for two years during my first two years teaching. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the best financial decisions I think I've ever made. Um, within my first two years teaching, I saved about a thousand dollars from every paycheck mm-hmm. um, and put it in my savings account. And that's what I would have normally spent on rent, um, potentially less than what I would have spent on rent per month. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think my parents, while they weren't frivolous in their spending, um, they were able to really support me very well in setting myself up for a good financial start as an adult. Are you are you willing to talk to our audience about how much teachers make? You know, I think we all are very aware that teachers do not make enough and should make a lot more. There's been those memes being passed around in this COVID-19 environment um, with people homeschooling their kids saying teachers should be paid a billion dollars. Uh, but, but, you know, I don't think a lot of us really know what, what is a teacher's salary. Yeah. Um, So my first year teaching, and this is something that for um, most school districts is public information. So if you're really curious, you could Google the name of your school district and like, you know, salary schedule, and it would Mm -hmm. come up. It's all public information. Um, So for my school district, the year that I started teaching, uh, I made $39,000 as my salary that year. Um, And with taxes, um, my take home was a little over 2000 a month. And so when I was saving a thousand dollars, that was uh, about, about 50% of what I was, you know, seeing every month. Yeah. So um, again, if I had been living on my own, it would have been really, really tight to make sure that I was covering rent and 
you know, uh, food and all of those other um, necessities. I'm lucky that my school district um, gives us a pretty big amount of money to spend on healthcare. Um, but you know, that's another, another thing to think about when your take home amount every month is pretty small. Um, yeah. Now that I'm in my fifth year teaching and I earn my master's degree, um, I'm bringing home about $54,000 mm. uh, for a salary this year. So it's been a pretty big jump in the last five years, but now that my master's is, my master's was the biggest um, cause in having a, a bigger jump from last year to this year. So um, it'll continue to uh, be about 1500 to $2,000 more each year um, as I uh, move up a step on our pay scale every year. And then if I wanted to do more continuing education credits, um, if I wanted to earn more grad credits or look into um, some kind of administration licensure program, um, then I could continue to move up um, for my education credits as well. Interesting. So is, is that common where there's kind of this, this ladder of if you have this education, if you do that, if you've been with us X amount of years, this is how much you get paid. So there's really no lever for the school to pull to say this is an amazing teacher and we want to you know pay you more is that a possibility um not really from my understanding um and my school district is the second largest in the state of oregon so we have a pretty well established system of how things how things go mm-hmm. um and so yeah, for, for my school district, you could find the pay scale um, on the website, and it's it's a grid. And as you uh, have more years of experience, um, you kind of it looks like you move down, but you move down one way. And as you um, add more education um, to your transcripts, you move across the pay scale. Um, so they definitely do incentivize um, furthering your education for teachers. That's something that I really appreciate that they've continued to do. Yeah, I want to circle back to what you were talking about growing up um, with your your mom and dad being really dedicated to raising you and your brother and your mom kind of making some career decisions so that she could be there. What do you think they've taught you about money? Did did you guys talk much about money? I know you said that they they didn't really show when things weren't going as well as maybe they were at other times. Um, but I'm just curious because it's so different in every family. What was your experience like? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I really saw that most was during my teenage years doing things like shopping with my mom. Um, and my mom was always willing to, you know, take me shopping and we could go pick out a new outfit or we could go, um, you know, just kind of browse and see what was out there. And, she never told me no for those sorts of things, but we were uh, pretty selective about where we went. And that was something that I learned from her pretty early on, um, that you don't have to spend exorbitant amounts of money um, to you know, find an outfit or find hair products or beauty products that you like. And that doesn't mean that you can't splurge every once in a while if you find something that um, works really well or that you're really excited about. Uh, but so, you know, we did things like we went to TJ Maxx or, um, you know, I was going to Ross in middle school looking for clothes and finding things that I really liked um, that were significantly less expensive than going somewhere um, like Nordstrom. I had friends who exclusively shopped at Nordstrom and they would refuse to go shop anywhere else. And that wasn't ever something that was, you know, an option in my household. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Is that, um, did you feel pressure from those people who, who, felt like Nordstrom's was the only place to buy clothes? 
Well, I did. And part of me felt like, you know, I, I really respect Nordstrom as a company and I think all of their stuff is really uh, high quality. They carry um, some really incredible designer brands. Um, they're usually kind of on the cutting edge of what a trend might look like in everyday life. Um, but then I would see, you know, my friends coming to school in jeans and a tank top and, you know, the combined value of the outfit was a hundred dollars for a pair of jeans and a plain one color tank top. Um, and so some of that just didn't make sense to me. I understand mm. in investing in things that you're going to wear all of the time. But when we're talking about a cotton tank top that costs $35, that was something that even at 13, 14 years old, I just couldn't, couldn't conceptualize, you know, sure. that's, that's what's supposed to go under the other shirt that you wear on top of it. Um, and <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, to some degree, I felt pressure um, to to dress, you know, be be trendy and feel cute in what I was wearing. Um, but I also saw through some of the the silliness that was this um, focus on the label and where you were shopping. It didn't make sense to me to to spend a whole lot of money on things that nobody was really going to be able to tell where they came from anyway. Yeah. Yep, definitely. I can relate to that for sure. I think um, you and I grew up around the same time. And so I remember when the limited two was the hot place to shop and, you know, the one-armed belly shirts and all that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. The hair scrunchies and Mm -hmm. they're back now. Um, Yeah. I think you're probably much more up on the, the trends of what's happening with the younger crowd than I am being a teacher. But yeah, those things can be stressful. So I want to transition a little bit here. Um, There's three questions that I like to ask um, clients if they were coming in to meet with me for the first time and also like to ask my podcast guests. Um, And they go fairly deep. So um, you let me know. if you want to keep going, but, um, so we'll just, we'll start. And I did not make up these questions. They were, um, they're questions that were designed by a financial planning guru by the name of George Kinder. So we're going to go for the first one. So imagine that you're financially secure, that you have plenty of money to take care of your needs now and in the future. How would you live your life? Would you change anything? Just let yourself go. Don't hold back on your dreams. Uh, talk to me about a life that's completely and richly yours. Well, um, you know, I think one of my biggest goals and aspirations um, is to be able to stay home with future kids someday. Um, and that's something that for a lot of people my age is kind of a dream at this point. You know, mm. um, my mom was really lucky to be able to be home for seven years and, um, you know, still live a pretty comfortable life. My parents had a big house. They had a boat, you know, they, we, we, we did things together. Um, and that's not something that I think a lot of people my age feel like is is feasible to have um a super comfortable lifestyle where you also you know have extras like a boat or you know a third car or um have opportunities to go camping or go relax on vacations and things like that and um still be able to be a single income household and have one partner stay home with children um but that's something that i've uh 
really um, looked forward to for a long time. And so I think if I was in a position where I was completely financially stable um, and felt like uh, it would be possible, um, then my biggest goal would be able to stay home with my future children for at least a short period of time. It's not something that, um, you know, I don't see myself being a housewife. I don't see myself being home forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. But to have those experiences with your kids when they're when they're young and they're developing and you know they if they're not home all day with you they'd be with a babysitter anyway um i think that that would be ultimately the number one thing that i would want to do yeah that's really interesting so have you thought about how many kids you'd like to have yeah i think ideally we'd like to have about two mm-hmm. but you know i think that's always up for debate. We might have one and decide, whoa, this is way more difficult than we thought, or, um, you know, something along those lines, or we might have two and decide we need one more. So I think we're open to um, thinking about that when the time comes. So have you always kind of had this in the back of your mind that you really feel passionate about being able to be the primary caretaker of your kids? Or is that something that has come about later in life, as you've become a teacher, as you've seen kids grow up. Tell us more about that. I think it's always been in the back of my mind. Um, You know, I love, I love kids. I love working with kids. Uh, I have said so many times that I would be so bored working with adults all day. I would be so (laughs) bored in an office hanging out with adults um, because kids are just so they're so exciting. They're so eager to learn. They're so um, interested. Even when they're not happy, there's there's still this, um, you know, they just kind of exude enthusiasm for whatever's going on. And so it's something that I've always really felt drawn to. And, um, you know, similar to my mom's career choice, uh, being a teacher was something that I felt like would give me um, the ultimate ability to be able to spend time with my kids. So, um, you know, even if I end up having to put an infant or a toddler in daycare in the future, um, my hours are pretty similar to what, you know, my future kids might, might have, um, for their school day, I get spring break off, I get summer break off, I get winter break off. And so having those, um, really big chunks of time off where my kids wouldn't otherwise be in school is something that's really valuable and important to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I think that's so noble um, to want to do that. And not to say that anybody who, who prefers to keep working and have their kids in daycare, that's great too. Um, But knowing that I think can be really helpful as you're planning financially, looking ahead and making important life decisions that are happening now um, in your mid to working towards your later twenties. Is there anything else that comes to mind you're thinking about your dreams for your future and um you know i think something that uh both my husband and i have talked about is wanting to um do a little bit of traveling or vacationing we view those two things very separately both of us are very easily exhausted mm. by travel um okay. and so you know being able to take a true vacation where we go lie on a beach somewhere and relax and enjoy the sunshine and have fun. Um, But we also want to do uh, a small amount of traveling. Um, So, you know, do things, take, take trips where the goal is to go see things and experience things that we haven't before. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's something that you know neither of us have really been able to do previously on a, a more global scale um, and so both being able to do some traveling but also just take some really relaxing vacations yeah yeah that's awesome so in thinking about that future of travel and travel versus vacation, which I love, by the way, because those two things kind of in my mind were the same and they're totally not. You're right. Travel is about experiencing culture and new places and different types of people and vacation is to veg and relax. And so um, those mean different things to different people. Um, how, do you, how do you financially prepare for something like that? What strategies, what tools, um, what what questions go through your mind when you're thinking about wanting to do something like that? Um, well, you know, right now, uh, it's something that I think for us is a, a goal for the future. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, we're uh, basically a single income household. My husband has been um, a student for uh, the entirety of our marriage thus far um, and has worked uh, part-time as he's gone to school part-time you know, throughout that time. But um, for the most part, we're a single income household. And so it means that there's not a lot of extra uh, mm -hmm. to go towards things like that. And so, um, you know, for right now, it's kind of a, a goal for the future. Um, I think as we move into being a dual income household, it's something that we would most likely, um, you know, try to set a little bit of money aside each month and think about uh, kind of what we'd be comfortable spending as a whole, what we'd be comfortable um, pulling from our, our monthly income. Um, and then trying to figure out, you know, of course, with scheduling how much time we could take off work or he would need to take off work um, to be able to do the, the kind of vacation or the kind of traveling that we'd like to be able to do. Um, so it's kind of hard because right now it's um, a little bit difficult to even plan something like that. Yeah. Yeah. As a single, a single income household, um, how are you managing your money right now? Are you, you, you sound like you think a lot about what, how much can be allocated to what area of your life and, so where do utilities and groceries and all of the other expenses that come with life, how do you manage that? Mm -hmm. um, well, it, it's funny because this is all something that, you know, we thought about from the time that we bought our house almost three years ago. Um, it'll be three years at the end of next week that we bought our house. Um, but it's something that we really heavily considered um, then, because, you know, at that time I was already thinking I would like to be able to stay home at some point. So this is something that needs to be feasible um, on a single income. And again, my husband, husband has been um, a student. And so we were going into it on a single income. Um, and so I think, you know, the first thing that we did was bought a house that was well within our means. It's something that over the last three years, um, our mortgage has been something that we've been able to easily and comfortably cover every month. Um, and great. so I think, you know, making that choice and our house is small, but there's only two of us and one large breed dog. Um, so <laughs> for right now it's fine, but it's, you know, we knew going into it that we didn't want to um, get ourselves into something that was going to be, um, ultimately too much for us to, to handle, um, yeah. knowing that my husband was going to be in school for the next few years. Um, so that was probably, uh, the, you know, the first thing we did. Um, and again, we bought our house three years ago. And so I was making, you know, 
less money than I'm making now. So as we've gone through the years, it's become more and more comfortable mm-hmm. to, to, to cover our current mortgage. Um, you know, I think the, the best thing that we have done um, is to try to keep our monthly bills really um, consistent. And mm-hmm. so things like um, doing the like equal pay for um, our gas bill so that in the winter when we're using our gas furnace um, a lot more, those bills don't mm-hmm. seem uh, a lot higher than they would in the summer when it's off all the time. Um, so doing some of those kinds of things. So it's a little bit easier to plan each month, how much we're going to have left at the end of the month. Um, so I don't have any big, big, huge secrets, but trying our best to make our spending as consistent as possible has really helped. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like, I actually, I'd never heard of somebody um, going on to the equal pay. I didn't even know that was an option. So I don't know if that's something that's just available where you live or um, if it's widely available throughout the country, but I think that's a great way to to know where your money is going and what your expenses are going to be. Um, sorry, somebody's calling me. It's Kevin. It's my husband. <laughs> Ignore. Just kidding. Um, where was I? Yeah, so I think for, for people listening, trying to get a little bit creative about how to have consistency with your budget makes it so much easier to project out versus not knowing, you know, like you said, in the winter, if gas is $150 in the summer, it's 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it worked out well for us because, um, you know, the winter, uh, November through January is always a more expensive time for people anyway, with the holidays and things like that coming up. And so, um, it made a lot of sense for us to kind of deflect some of that, um, you know, financial stress, um, onto other times of the year that maybe aren't so naturally expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So I'm going to get us back to our, um, three questions on to question number two. Um, and it gets a little bit more intense as we go through them. So question number two is, Imagine that you visit your doctor who tells you that you have five to 10 years to live. You won't ever feel sick and you will have no notice of the moment of your passing. What would you do in the time you have remaining? Would you change your life and how would you do it? Um, You know, I think it's it's kind of funny because I have a feeling all of these questions are going to come back to having a family and kind of structuring my life around that. Um, as far as like m- my day to day life, uh, you know, I don't think I would I don't think I would change it because I love what I do. Um, every day that I go to work, I'm I'm happy and excited, and that's not to say that I'm not exhausted by the end of the day. Um, but I truly, truly enjoy how I spend my days. Um, and, you know, if I were to not have children of my own, then, um, you know, I think continuing doing my current job would become that much more important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I would change, you know, my day to day life. Um, there might be some things that, you know, I might want to experience some more, I don't know, indulgent experiences than I probably, um, have in my, in my day-to-day life. Um, or, you know, things like going on vacations or doing things that are really relaxing or that we might not normally do. Um, but I think as far as, 
you know, living, living another five or 10 years doing exactly what I'm doing now. Um, I would be, I would be really okay with that. And it's not because I'm, you know, complacent. It's because I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm living a life that's, you know, meaningful and happy. And, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of money to spend, but what I do spend, um, spend it on and how I earn my money, I feel like is, uh, um, I don't know. I just, I don't see myself wanting to change that, even if I knew that there wasn't a lot of time left. I think that's amazing that you, you can so confidently say I'm living a happy and meaningful life because I think there's a lot of us out there that um, struggle with that. You know, where is happiness created? Is it found? You know, I think really it's about looking inward. And so what I'm kind of gaining and gleaming from this is that you've really done the work to look inside and say, what do I want? What makes me happy? How do I create happiness in my life and do something with my time that feels very fulfilling? Um, so I think that's that's amazing. And I think you're probably right when you said your answer to all three questions is is going to circle <laughs> around um, this desire to really be present um, in being a mom and as a family. Um, but this one veers slightly. So last question is, imagine that the doctor shocks you with the news that you have 24 hours to live. Ask yourself, what did you miss? What did you not get to do? What did you want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if I only had, had 24 hours, that's um, when building some meaningful experiences with my existing family would come into play. Um, and so whether that would be um, doing some traveling and getting to see things that I hadn't previously gotten to see um, or, uh, you know, just building some of that, um, some of that bonding time with my family, I think that would be uh, the most important thing to me in a 24 hour period, um, creating adventures and memories that could last, um, you know, long beyond any one person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you envision that, what, what does that look like? You know, would you, would you be going on a hike? Would you be, well, not right now in coronavirus (laughs) environment, but would you be getting on a plane to another country? Yeah. You know, uh, in my mind, it keeps going back and forth between, um, jumping on a plane and going somewhere like Paris and seeing the Eiffel tower or, um, you know, staying home and jumping in the car and trying to make it to all seven wonders of Oregon mm-hmm. in a 24 hour period. Um, you know, I think I like that something like Interesting. driving around to, you know, what is, what is close and available to us. Um, that's one of those things that it's not, it's not expensive and it's not, um, you know, maybe glamorous in some ways as you're road tripping it around the state. Um, but it's something that, you know, for us, we still haven't been able to find the time to do necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think, you know, doing one of those things that I've always wanted to do and just never uh, made it a priority um, would be something that would be probably on the top of my list. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, all of us financial planners 
you know, we're really in the business of helping people live more intentionally and using their money to do so, so that you can make finding the time a priority so that you don't have the financial burden and kind of sorting out some of those questions. Um, so I really appreciate you opening up about that um, and being willing to share with everybody listening. Is there any questions you have for me, money-wise, financial? Oh, gosh. Um, you don't have to, but just open it up the floor. Well, yeah, you know, uh, something my husband and I have talked about for quite a while. So um, I'm a state employee. I have, um, I'm part of PERS. Mm -hmm. um, my husband hasn't yet entered his career. And so, you know, whether he goes into the public or private sector, we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess my biggest question would be, um, you know, for a couple like us, what would be your best suggestions in, you know, thinking about retirement, thinking about down the road um, when we might want to have um, a little bit of something to fall back on? Uh, what would be your best suggestion for that? Yeah. So I have to be a little bit careful about, um, giving advice. So mm -hmm. of course there's a disclaimer <laughs> to always talk to your financial professional. Um, but ultimately it comes down to saving early and saving often. Mm -hmm. I am a believer that it's not about the dollar amount. It's about creating that habit and getting really comfortable with the habit. So as a state employee um, and access to, to PERS, that's a fantastic avenue to save. Um, they do a good job in keeping fees low for investment options and um, and also making good contributions. But aside from, of course, contributing to your retirement plan at work, building up an emergency fund is key, number one. Um, ideally, you have three to six months of living expenses in there. And then I'm a big fan of the bucket budgeting approach, which is where you have separate accounts for separate purposes. So you and your husband could have your emergency fund. You could have a travel fund. You could even have a separate vacation fund. You're like, we're going to go. And this is a sit on the beach trip. We're going to use our vacation fund for that one. Um, and for anything else that comes up, whether it's, it sounds like your parents did a good job saving to help you through college, things like that for your future kids. Um, and automating as much as possible. So maybe you don't have that $1,000 you were putting away when you were living at home now, but maybe you have $10 and going into your bank and, and saying, okay, I'm going to set, set an automatic transfer for $10 on the first of the month or the third of the month whenever you get paid um, and then increasing that over time because you won't miss it when it's not there. You know, you guys are, you sound like the two of you are really good at being aware, which is huge. I mean, that's half the battle, mm -hmm. just being aware. Um, and you're on the right track, absolutely. And thinking ahead, um, knowing that you both have unknowns, especially with, with his career, um, and kind of planning for those different avenues, thinking about it. So, does that answer your question? I yeah. think I kind of like went off into a, a tangent there, but <laughs> the, the moral of the story is save early and save often. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, leaning into the vulnerability that it takes to talk about money. It's such a taboo topic. 
Uh, I think your story is definitely going to help a lot of our listeners and, and give people insight into what is it like to be a first grade teacher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Rise Up Tribe. If you're a regular here, thanks so much for listening. You're a valued member of our community. If you'd like to come on the show, Google This American Wallet, which will take you to the podcast page of our website here at Rise Up Financial. Until next time, be kind and save money.